Larry, I'll give you a cue here. MM&M Agency 100 Studio Sessions. I2 Vision. Okay, we're rolling. Hello, my name is Larry Dobrow. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of MM&M, and I am ready for you to plug into this episode of the Agency 100 Studio Sessions, a new podcast series which gives members of the MM&M Agency 100 an opportunity to riff on what sets them apart. We've got a terrific one today. We have Matt Swanson and Didi Discar, who are the founders and leaders of i2Vision. Matt, Didi, welcome. Thank you, Larry. Hi, thanks so much for having us. So glad to have you here today. You know, it's funny, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air about the origins of the agency and how it came from a different place than a lot of agencies do. Why don't we start with that? What led to the birth of the of i2Vision's hybrid agency model? Well, but before we go through the birth of how we went hybrid and how we actually came out of that really quite successfully, I think it's probably best first to explain I2 Vision and its inception because it happened right before the pandemic even happened. So the whole idea regarding I2 Vision at the time that we built it was a couple of key opinion leaders had approached me and after knowing that we had that I had successfully exited uh, with Carlin Communications and through that transaction, they came to me and asked me whether or not I might be interested in starting another agency under the idea that these key opinion leaders were spending a lot of time advising different pharmaceutical companies in many parts of their life cycle, whether or not it was startup or um, later on towards commercialization, giving advice to um, these companies. And then these companies would pass over that advice to whatever incumbent agency. And quite frankly, these key opinion leaders said, then frequently our, our feedback is just really kind of screwed up from there. So, you know, we really think that there might be an opportunity for you to develop an agency that really kind of gets it from square one, that really kind of understands not just what our feedback is, but really the context behind our feedback and helping to create stronger, more meaningful narratives for these many different companies that we advise for. And that was really kind of the inception with IT Vision in the very beginning. And then when it started, then, you know, Shortly thereafter, that's when the pandemic happened. Um, I'll pass it over to Matt because Matt was really the, was and is the leader, um, but particularly coming into the pandemic. Yeah, Matt, um, from your perspective, how did this evolve? How did you come to where we are today? You know, I think Didi touched on one of the key things, right? And that is our partnership with, with key opinion leaders as we brought this company together. And one of the unique positions that put us in was to be able to engage with clients uh, when they're still early on in the clinical development stage, right? When they're coming out of phase one or where they're in phase two, where we really were helping them understand really what their data was telling them and exactly what they had and how we could help them position this product in the marketplace and what should they be thinking about and who should they be talking to and where's the right place for them to get their information out. So we had this opportunity and we continue to have this opportunity to engage with clients at a really critical level in, in product development. And then that transcends as um, you know, our clients move closer and closer to commercialization, you know, we can continue to be that strategic guide all the while having the capabilities of a full service agency to execute on many different levels. So that's, in my view, really kind of where the hybridization 
was formed. And as we then brought people into the organization, as we started to grow and started to scale as a company, we looked for people that could handle the versatility of, of what we were asking them and needing them to do, right? Which is be strategic, but also be action-minded and, and you know, deliverable-minded, if you will. The timing of um, i2Vision's founding, um, in a way, did that help you? I mean, it was before the pandemic. It was before, you know, a lot of, uh, I mean, at this time last year, any conversation that we had for the Agency 100 was essentially like, hey, do you know anybody? If so, can you please tell us the name? I'm like, well, you know, give us a little fee for recruitment. We can talk, you know, but uh, right. tell me a little bit about how the timing uh, worked to your benefit um, for the development of the agency and hiring its people. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think in some cases it works. It worked to our behalf, and in some cases it, it worked against us. Right? Um, you know, certainly it works against you a little bit because I still think being in front of people, shaking hands, smiling, and that that human contact is really, really important. Whether you're recruiting somebody, someone to come into your organization, or whether you're engaging with a client or a key opinion leader or even a, a fellow colleague, right? So we missed that in the in the early stages of the organization, certainly. But, but where it helped, I think, is, you know, even from just a operations cost standpoint, not having, you know, as a small company, not having to have an office, not having to yep. pay rent, not having to do a lot of the things that we would have to do, say, pre-COVID, where our initial thought would have been, as soon as we have any kind of critical mass, we need an office, right? We've, we've been able to, to kind of work through that and, and offset some costs, which I think this has, has helped us. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other key areas, though, too, is uniquely to I2 Vision, both Matt and I as the founders and leaders of the company, is that we both come from the client side, and we both recently came from the client Mm -hmm. side. And I think that as the world was really kind of crashing down around us in the beginning of the pandemic, because of the fact that we've been on the client side, we already had a general feel about what clients were experiencing. We were actually, we were both each on the client side when the pandemic first started. And so therefore, as the different pharmaceutical companies were starting to really kind of get used to the same normal rather than having to explain to an agency who generally gets the sense of that feeling as they're walking through the halls with their clients, we didn't have to do that because we were in the halls. We were working in the halls of clients as, you know, as franchise heads, as VPs of marketing, Um, you know, those were the roles that we were playing. And so we kind of already got more or less a spidey sense or a Jiminy Cricket sense (laughs) about what was going to make sense for them as, you know, versus what wasn't going to make sense for them. To a certain extent was the founding of the company, did it happen in response to some of the things that you saw being on the client side? You know, say so like, all right, you know, we work with this agency, they can do X and Y, but they can't do Z. Was that, was that a part of it? Well, I would say that that's generally been my philosophy from the very beginning since I started on the agency side back in the days when it was MedAccess yeah. and Eversana. I've always had the opinion of all agencies are, are very good. They're very talented in their own way. But the agency that really can appreciate what the experience of the client is by actually having client side experience, those are going to be the ones I think that are going to tend to you know, bubble up to the top, I think, in terms of providing the most value to clients. Matt, I'd love to get your take on the same thing. 
I couldn't agree more. I mean, the, the ability to have a conversation with a client, uh, knowing that you've sat in their exact position and understand the challenges that they're facing and um, knowing that they need to satisfy, you know, a, a CEO of, of a major organization and knowing they've got marketing plans to build and, ex- and having walked through that process, you know, Didi and I having walked through that process multiple, multiple times, it, it really helps us because we can speak a language that, you know, people who haven't come up on on the the client side can can speak really and it permeates across everything that we do even Mm -hmm. right down to like for example the sow process there are times that an agency will go through its normal process of developing costings and things like that for an sow but when you've got a client eye you know, you imagine yourself like, man, could I pass the red face test of passing this? <laughs> you know, and sometimes, so you know, I would be honest. You know, sometimes the answer is an emphatic no. There's no way, and so you're able to catch those kinds of things before it even sees the eyes of the client. Does it allow you to operate with almost more candor? You know, being like, hey, you know, I was sitting where you were. Here's why I'm telling you this idea that you've got uh, maybe a little off, you know, something like that. <laughs> Yeah, but it really kind of depends on the client, though, because sometimes when you have that kind of candor, sometimes it might come off as condescending. Um, So we want to be very careful about that. But in general, you know, I think that the way we package things and even right down to sometimes, you know, we'll offer to our client like, hey, you know, listen, we'll we'll write the cover letter for you that'll go that'll circulate internally. And we'll write it as if I were the product manager or the director of marketing or the head of medical affairs or something like that. When you have the ability to communicate with a client um, you know, in the language that you speak and, and do things that, that they would do without them even anticipating or knowing that you do it, you can surprise your client a lot of the time. And I think one of the things that Didi and I can offer as a partnership, and again, we can support as an agency, is you know that, that thought process where we'll sometimes think of things or think of opportunities or think of challenges at, at the same speed our clients are thinking about them because we, we literally do, okay, uh, you know, I am so and so from such an AB, you know, from XYZ company. What what is my perspective on this? What am I thinking? And and put ourselves in that position, and it really enables us to develop a like minded thought process with our with our clients, and it, it it's very appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, the agency is about four years old now, and you know, certainly it was a you know, you, you started the company, then there was a pandemic, and like here we are now. Um, <laughs> what were what were some of, beyond the obvious one, the pandemic? Um, what were some of the other challenges along the way as you built the company into what it is now? One of the challenges I think building a company virtually is building culture. And Dee and I are both huge believers in in culture, and we both come from organizations where there have been great cultures and we've both worked for organizations where the culture hasn't been as strong. And one of the things that we wanted to ensure at I2 was that people are fulfilled here. They feel valued, that they enjoy each other. And we always wanted to bring people into the organization that not only could deliver, you know, on an execution basis, but also could add value to our engagements on a day-to-day basis, right? And that, that's a little bit more challenging when all your engagements is like our conversation here, where we're, we're virtually talking to each other yeah. over a camera screen. And we've taken advantage of technology as much as we can. But I think that's been one of the biggest cultures. And we've had to make really a dedicated move to ensure that we come together at certain points during the year just to, you know, build bonds and break bread together and 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 do things that you just can't do virtually. And I, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that that we've had as a company kind of growing as a company in a virtual environment. It's kind of twofold. It's exactly what Matt's talking about, which I'm sure is something that all agencies have experienced is how to maintain or even build a culture when everybody's virtual. But I think that what's unique about I2Vision 
is, you know, I know, if I can reflect on, you know, some of the interviews that I've had when I'm interviewing a candidate to join our team, one of the things that I always tend to tell candidates is, hey, listen, you know, you, you know, you may come here and you may end up finding yourself that you're going to be an extraordinary account supervisor or an extraordinary publications manager, you know, but but what I'm what I'm going to promise you here at I2Vision is that I'm going to make you a great commercial strategist, or I'm going to coach you into becoming a great medical affairs strategist, because I think that that's something very different. Now, back in the day before the pandemic, it was easy to be able to demonstrate that because they can see that in their body language, they can see that in the operations that surround you. It's really hard to really convince a, a candidate that you're only seeing on a screen of trust me trust me i know what i'm doing trust me trust me he knows what he's doing jump on in the water's warm that's the, i think that was a little bit of the hard part to that end what, what were some of the strategies that worked um how did you get people to have that trust to you know say all right ddmat they very clearly know what they're doing i'm going to follow even if i'm doing so from afar well i i think people inherently want to grow and, and develop as individuals. And I think when you pose opportunities to them like that, while it may be frightening initially, I think people quickly realize, well, I can really grow and develop as a professional. And, and this is a small enough company where I'm going to get, you know, unlike a gigantic agency where somebody's going to have a little piece of a little project, yeah. our team is going to be exposed to every element. They're going to be exposed to multiple different clients and they're going to be engaged in a huge variety of different types of projects. And, and so, you know, to Didi's point, you bring people in that you know are capable and that's what you draw out during the interview process and you know they're eager and that's what you draw out as well. They tend to be excited about the opportunity to say, wow, this is going to take me as, an, as a professional to the next level. I also think that like sometimes, sometimes the simple things too. I mean, um, we have a policy within our organization that videos always need to be on. You know, and and then funny enough, that kind of iterates into that next level of realizing that, hey, if the videos are on, you need to real you need to realize that the camera's on you. So your facial expression and every and and every single smirk and smug look you look, we see it. <laughs> We've all seen <laughs> how this backfires, it. right? <laughs> Didi calls me on it all the time. <laughs> I, you know, like you know that resting bitch face, you're like, oh, all right, you need to wipe that off. You know. <laughs> But it even comes down to the client interaction. We became a lot more sensitive to if they see four or five different people on the agency side with a one or two single clients, we're like, hey, listen, if you're there and your picture has got the same size as my picture and you're saying nothing, maybe you shouldn't be there. Absolutely. You know, so really kind of raising the bar about just not just even being there and showing up, but, you know, but making sure that you're bringing value. Mm -hmm. We were talking a little bit about this before we hit record, the nature of client engagements and how they've shifted over the last couple of years, especially, you know, some of the things that we just talked about. Um, what characterizes a good client engagement now vis-a-vis -a, -vis a good client engagement in 2019? I can, I'm happy to take the first step at this I one. think you should take the first step at that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I would actually describe as a really good client engagement to now, now more than ever, is... The idea that um, solutions are iterative. So, you know, I think gone are the days of when you have to spec something out to its finest detail. And then you find yourself as an agency talking about what's in scope and what's out of scope. I mean, I think that that's something that's important, especially from a financial standpoint. But it's not necessarily thoughtful of the 
even now ever-changing environment now compounded with this new hybrid environment that we all find ourselves in. So what I think is, is, is most important is, you know, and Matt and I always laugh about it. We always say that we are professional hole pluggers. <laughs> because we, may, we may interact with a client under the guise that we think that we're solving one particular issue. But over the course of the conversation, we realize, hey, that's not the issue that we're solving at all. We're actually solving this issue instead. Mm-hmm. And having the flex to be able to do that in a way that's meaningful to the client, but still profitable for the agency. I think that that's really been kind of been one of the key areas of evolution for us that we're still learning from, but also, quite frankly, that we're also differentiating ourselves from other agencies. I would agree. And I would also say as a small, you know, growing agency, and I, and I see the nature of the client agency relationship changing a little bit, where if you go back a decade ago, you know, it's mostly gigantic AOR type of relationships. But yeah. now, as as I, I think that clients, especially in our industry, are starting to, to understand the value of specialty and intelligence uh, in the companies they choose to partner with. So we find that a lot of our engagements, and we work with a, a lot of different companies, tend to be more ongoing project work rather than AOR type of work. And, and you know, the, the good thing about that is it, it means we're always on to deliver. We, we don't ever feel like we, we're, we're never getting a, a, a softball. Um, you know, every project we take on is a challenge and it's our job to deliver and, you know, exceed our, our clients' expectations on that job. And so it, it causes us to constantly be sharp and refined as, as an organization. To that point, based on what both of you have just uh, shared, what characterizes the best client relationships that you have? Um, what are some of the things that I2Vision can do that, you know, maybe agencies of, that are bigger or more networked or whatever you want to call it uh, can't? In my opinion, the, 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 especially for, for an organization like ours, the, the best client engagements and the best client relationships are those that, and, and it's going to sound trite, right? But it's, it's where there's a real partnership. It's where the client is willing to look at you and say, I understand the value that I'm bringing and I'm not just going to push directions at you and, and have you yeah. be an order taker and an executor of projects, right? We're going to, we're going to hash this out together. I'm going to listen to your input. You're going to listen to mine and we're going to come to resolution on the best way to do things and come to those conclusions together. And we have numerous relationships like that, and they're exceptionally productive on both sides, both for us and, and for the client. Didi, what do you think? I would probably say that I wouldn't be doing my job well if I didn't appreciate and be in, and if I wasn't intimate with that client's external environment to the same degree that the client is. Now, I realize that on the agency side, I may not know all the internal workings that, that, that may be putting pressure um, on the client. You know, I can certainly appreciate it and sympathize with it, but I, you know, I can't necessarily empathize because I don't know that particular situation. But externally, to how their, their customers are thinking and feeling, how their key opinion leaders are thinking and feeling, even patient advocates. If I don't know that as well as my clients do, then I'm in the wrong business. All right. Um, Didi, I think you mentioned earlier in the conversation, I think you described yours and Matt's role as, um, I think the wording was professional hole pluggers. Uh, tell me a little <laughs> bit about um, a big hole, a big problem that um, the I2Vision team has solved in the last year. Oh man, but you put on the spot on this one. Gosh, you know, I feel as if every day we're, we're plugging something. <laughs> just off the top of my head, just a recent, uh, recent client engagement that we have actually, it is one of our agency of record clients. 
You would think an agency of record, you know, we're going to do the standard things like brand development, corporate identity development, blah, 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 blah. But it turns out over the course of the conversation, they were sitting on a lot of data that just simply wasn't published, you know. And at the same time, they also had already a kind of a growing number of physician advocates that were the opposite of advocates. They were physician dissenters. And so as we were starting to think about more the more traditional brand development things, we're like, no, you know what, listen, we need to kind of shore up some of the loose ends that you got going on here, because it really kind of doesn't matter what we do from a brand standpoint. If we have all of this dissension that's going on, we're going to end up, you know, being like fish, you know, swimming upstream. We, we, we kind of need to take this as a, as a very holistic kind of way. And that would be an example of where we just, we plug holes along the way. As we start to move one for, you know, two steps forward, then we start to notice, okay, we move this direction. We're going to impact the market that direction. So we better start plugging up those holes. Matt, how about from your perspective? Was there something that jumps out at you? One of the examples I can think of is we we have a, we do a lot of advocacy development work for a lot of our clients. Um, and we happen to have a client that we've been doing a considerable amount of advocacy development work for. And they, they said, hey, we want to bring some of these folks together. We don't really understand how to go about doing it. Can, is that something you could do for us? And at the time, we, as an agency, we hadn't done anything like that. And you know, we looked at it like, well, of course we can. We've got all the people in-house to be able to put something like this together. Sure, we can do it. Um, you know, we just stepped in, stepped up, and, and put on an incredible event for them. And then they, all of a sudden, it was every event they had like this is now, now comes our way. And it's not even a core capability of ours. But I think that's really what Dee Dee's talking about. If, you know, if, if, if a client comes to us with a need, we'll, we'll figure out a way to, to execute and, and deliver for them. Yeah, you know, and there there are some obvious areas where, it, you know, it just naturally becomes a slippery slope to hole plugging. <laughs> Things like, you know, when we get started on, for example, a, a medical narrative, it, it that will quickly become an investor deck, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Or, or vice versa. And then, which will then quickly become, can you support on investor day? Which will quickly become, can you help in our corporate vision? Yeah. Which will quickly become- Can you do you a know, publication and, plan? Yeah, right. you know, to a publication yeah. plan to now it's a disease management campaign. Right. <laughs> and it's, you know, we, we, we kind of allow ourselves to be um, agile and I guess elusive enough that we can manage to morph into anything that a client needs us to be in that point in time. But to a certain extent, I got to think that's a good problem to have, right? It's not just like, all right, we gave you this tiny little thing. Once you do it, like, well, you know, thank you. Bye. You know, I mean, they're building on the initial relationship and the initial work. That's that's good. Exactly. And I think if you're always demonstrating the knowledge and the insight uh, you know, when you're working on the one project and you're tying that into how it could conceptually be used here because of our understanding of the market, you know, that's kind of how those projects tend to tend to flow like that. Okay. And I think that's yeah. one of the important parts of kind of what we talk about when we talk about this hybrid model. It's like, can you be a consultant and an agency at the exact same time? And that's one of the things we really try to do. And I would like to think, now granted, we haven't necessarily pulled our clients in this kind of qualitative fashion. We have done it in some degree to, from a quantitative standpoint, but I would like to think that most of our clients, their experience with us is really quite unique, which is probably why we end up proliferating into all these other different areas of services. And that's because when you, again, I'm saying this from a client perspective, frequently when you choose an agency to work with, you do some sort of kickoff meeting with the client, you give them some sort of objective that you want. And then, like I said, then you go into the whole spec conversation. 
But in this particular case, I would guess that most clients are pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. how little they have to tell us. How little that they have to explain to us the market, especially when it's in an area of a wheelhouse of a, you know, of a, of a specialty that we're familiar with. How little that they have to explain to us what's the internal review process going to be, not just by way of like how many rounds of review and MLR or PRC or things like that, but really more the, you know, the squishy things, the squishy things like, how is compliance going to react to this? How are we going to frame this in such a way that compliance is going to be okay with this? Or legal is going to be okay with this? Or how are we going to, you know, engage with this particular key opinion leader, you know, who apparently is in the camp of the competitor? Like these kinds of things, like these are active conversations that we can have pretty efficiently. And I think that that general experience is probably how it becomes this snowball effect into new work. Yeah. I mean, it's not the kind of thing you can outline way in advance. Some of these things that, you know, crop up. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, all right. I'm going to ask you one more question and it's kind of grossly unfair being that the future changes every couple of minutes in the uh, semi post pandemic <laughs> era, but um, what's next? Um, if we're having this conversation again a year from now, and I hope we will be, cause this has been a blast. <laughs> uh, what, what do you both hope to be telling me? What do you both expect to be telling me? So I'm going to say, I don't know, but that's deliberate. Um, So what's next is something great. I just don't know specifically what that is. And the only reason why I'm saying it's deliberate is because I don't subscribe to the idea that we should over pre-identify or predestine where we need to go. Because by doing that, we are inadvertently closing down paths that might be great paths for us. Hey, lock yourselves Um, in. Yeah. And I, you know, and, you know, and as, again, as professional hole pluggers, we need that agility. We need that ability to be able to course correct at any point in time for the benefit of our clients, but also for the benefit of the agency. Ideally, I would like to tell you that we will move from virtual back over to some sort of hybrid model with a, with a live, with a live location. But I would also tell you that as the world starts to change, if it turns out that we have to go full out into the more traditional, let's get 30,000 square feet of space, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say, no, 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 I didn't say that a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> Retroactively come back and erase this thing, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I I tend to believe that, you know, we have to follow where the best opportunity is in this moment in time and then be ready to course correct when we need to. Matt, how about you? When you look uh, into the future, what are some of the things you see or decide you don't want to see, right? Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) I I think Didi gave a great answer. You know, the things that I would add are we're living in an incredible time of technology. Um, What we're seeing some of our clients and prospective clients working on and the advancements in in medicine and and the use of device um, to improve the lives of patients is really, really incredible. So I think it's an exciting time to be doing what we're doing. But then you also have things like artificial intelligence and what is the role of AI a year from now as yeah. we begin to understand how to harness it and and you know where we can use it to our advantage and where we can use it to really understand data and demographics and, and things along those lines? I, you know, I think that presents a lot of uncertainty. Um, I know as you know, a leader of an organization, I want to be in front of it and understand it as well as possible. It's something I don't want to you know. I want to ensure we're not 
you know, run over by because I think there's potential if if you don't understand it, uh, we, we can be run over by it. So I I think it's a you know it's a, a time of great change, which makes it an exciting time to do what we do. I I can't answer what what we're going to say in a year, but but I do think there's going to be change, and I, and I do think it's going to be mostly for the positive. And I imagine that's what makes what you guys do fun, right? Definitely. All right. Yeah, it definitely does. All right. Before I let you go, um, one final question, because um, this is the Agency 100 Studio Sessions podcast. Mm-hmm. And also because our listeners can't see this, but Matt has a beautiful wall of guitars behind him. And uh, <laughs> they're much more uh, deliberately staged than mine are, which I got to get on. <laughs> but how about this? A question for both of you. What is the last song you both listened to? Um, I'm looking it up right now. Hang on. You're going to laugh. I, I like this. that we can quantify this. This is great. I know, right? <laughs> you're you're going to laugh at this, but the last yeah. song I actually listened to, I, I last night was my father's 80th birthday. And so oh, wow. we went out to dinner with my family and we were driving home and my wife was in a fun uh, 80s, 90s party mood as we were driving home. And the last song that played and we actually sat in the garage with it on was Poison by... Uh, what was Bill that? Bill Bo, right? <laughs> that was that. That's the last song we listened to, cranked up in my wife's car. <laughs> you know what? Actually, so I see it, but for some reason, there's a glitch on my phone. What's that song by Toby Keith? Is brought to you by the courtesy of the oh, U.S. Um, yeah. Um, uh, what's that? Oh, red, this. white, and blue. Yes. Um, yeah, the, the red, white, and blue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. That's what I was listening to yesterday. <laughs> America. <laughs> There we go. I, I, I tell you, obviously, these conversations are wonderful for so many different reasons, but getting everybody a little tiny piece of everybody's music taste is really kind of fun. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love music. Matt and Didi, this was absolutely a delight. Thanks so much for joining us here. Thank you so much, Larry. For the MM&M Studio Sessions podcast, this is Larry Dobrow. Many thanks for listening and be well. Be well.